One of the cool things about today is, um, all right, so when I gave this sermon last week or a few, few weeks ago at the other church, they have a strict time limit. <laughs> and so, um, like my friend here told me, my time limit was 35 minutes. So I'm like, okay, I normally go a little longer than that, but I can try to work with 35 minutes. So I had to cut out like a page plus of my sermon to kind of fit it in within that time period. Um, and then I got there on church, he like, you got 33 minutes, <laughs> right? And, and their church was pretty like synchronized and just timed. Like every, their, their messages were, they knew how long it'll be. And then like, you have exactly 33 minutes. And so that was kind of nerve wracking, like preaching, knowing that you have a strict time limit. Um, and so... I was just making sure I didn't go over on certain topics, certain things, but the good thing is here, I know I don't have that pressure. I mean, I'm not going to go all day, but um, yeah, it's just, I'm like, okay, it's cool. I can just go through this and really dig in some texts like I really wanted to do there, but time just didn't permit. But God bless. Um, had some good conversations with the people up there in Folsom, beautiful people, brothers and sisters in, in Christ who really said they were challenged by the word. Um, so God bless that and, and I'm praying that he blesses today um, again this, this is the sermon just a modified version of the sermon that I gave at Harbor Church in Folsom and they gave me a topic so it's a topical sermon there's no real base scripture other than Galatians 3 27 28 and Colossians 3 9 to 11 and the topic that they gave me was living unified in Christ during a time of during the midst of time of cultural disunity or in other words, how do we as Christians maintain unity during this time of um, cultural disunity or where there seems to be a spirit of disunity in the air? I was talking with a, a sister the other day here um, that came with Ahmad. I forgot the lady's name. Remember the lady? She said she was a Messianic Jew. But, but um, she had made a, just a point how she's like, yeah, there seems to be just a, a spirit of disunity in the air that's going around. I'm like, yeah, because, I mean, people, are, we're just divided over everything. The smallest matters. We're aggressive about it. Um, so there seems to be something going on right now. And uh, so that's what the pastor wanted me to speak to. And that's what we'll look at today. And as, as I just said, there seems to be something going on in, in the midst of our world right now. Because we're so divided. So many issues that have... Uh, polarized people but when you think about it when you think about it we as human beings that is something we do very well right we know how to divide ourselves as human beings we we know how to do that we know how to divide ourselves up into tribes and camps we do that thing very well we do it from the the trivial matters right with sports some people with sports teams, if you're not a fan of their team, they won't even communicate with you, especially during the season, right? They're like, nah, I don't deal with Niners fan if you're a Raiders fan or, or vice versa, you're a Cowboys fan. Some people are like, no, I'm not even going to deal with you. I don't want to talk. Like people get really aggressive when their team loses. So, so over small trivial matters such as sports, we find ourselves divided. But even on the much bigger things, the things that we're dealing with now, the political positions, other ways for how we divide ourselves, our political ideologies, or more ways how we divide ourselves. See, we, we like to separate ourselves. 
as a people. We separate ourselves not only along political lines and ideologies, but we separate ourselves along cultural lines, right? We separate ourselves along ethnic lines and affluence, and the list goes on and on. We find reasons to be divided. We find reasons to separate ourselves. Now, while the culture around us while the culture around us may divide themselves over such matter, there should be a place on earth, or there is a place on earth, where all of those lines of divisions are eviscerated. And that place should be and is the Church of Jesus Christ. That should be a place where all of those lines are eviscerated. It should be the Church of Jesus Christ. And yes, while there are still distinctions in, inside of the body of Christ, meaning that I am still male, yes, that's one of my distinctives. I am still African-American, right? That's one of my distinctives. In John's vision, in the book of Revelation, John is able to see color and call it out the, the distinctions of different tribes, nations, and tongues to the glory of God. So as Christians, we see color more than anybody. But the value, here's the key point, but the value that society places on our distinctions, the values that the world places on our separation, guess what? They lose their value in Christ. See, in the body of Christ, the most important distinction is not Republican or Democrat, or black or white, or rich or poor. All of those lines that society has used to divide us, they are lost in Christ. Well, Christ is the only thing that matters. He's the only true thing that ultimately matters. And the Apostle Paul makes this crystal clear in Scripture. In Colossians 3, 9 to 11, in Galatians 3, 27, look what he says here about that division. I'll read this to you. And I'm coming out of the NAIV. Uh, I did that because it was a simpler version for most people. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, and Galatians 3, 27, 28. These are the two verses we're going to piggyback off of. Chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. And Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 through 28. Again, I just want to show you how all of those lines that we have created for ourselves, that we place value in, how the Bible kind of just blurs those lines, eviscerates those lines, and only leaves Christ as the thing that ultimately matters. And so in Colossians 3, 9-11, again, this is out of the NAIV, different translation. Yours may read a little different. He says this, the apostle says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and I've put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. 11, he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in and all. Why does he say this? Because at the time you had these false teachers coming into church. They didn't value Christ as the head. They were saying you needed other things more than Christ. Christ wasn't sufficient. But Paul is saying, no, Christ is all in all. He is everything. Our, our cultural lines, our societal lines, they don't mean anything. Christ is all in all. And so that's what he tells the church, the Colossians. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 28, he says this, For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor, uh, nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In both of these passages that I just read, Colossians and in Galatians, the cultural distinctions, the societal distinctions, the class distinctions, the gender distinctions are all eviscerated and replaced with Christ. See, all of the lies that our world uses to divide us, 
They're all right here replaced and eviscerated with Christ. See, the world likes to divide us by saying, okay, you guys go over here and, and you group over here because you're different. You guys go over here. But the apostle, by the way of the Holy Spirit in these texts, he, he is pushing back and saying that those lines of divisions, those lines that we use to attribute value and worth, he says they are, they're removed. They're removed. Now, you must understand this was such a foreign concept to the first century church, to the first century people. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 to 11, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 28. Guess what? For the first century people and the early church, this was such a foreign concept. See, a, a first century Roman male would never gladly embrace being seen as equal or as one. Guess what? With a slave or a woman. Why? Because in this period of time, they were on the lowest rung of the hierarchical structure in society. A slave and a woman. They were, they were like the lowest levels. And so if you were a male, a Roman male during this first century period, you would never, ever embrace saying, hey, I'm one, I'm equal with a, a woman or a slave. You would never. But the Apostle Paul is introducing in this thought, and he's showing you that, again, the, the classes and the camps and the categories and the tribes that society tries to place us into, that they have no value, that the only thing that ultimately truly matters is Christ, that he is the most important thing. Not the things that we use to divide ourselves. So for us to live unified in Christ during this time of culture, this disunity, will mean that we will have to value Christ and our common union to Christ more than any other thing. That is ultimately how we're going to have to, that's how we're going to live in unity amongst one another in this time of cultural disunity or societal disunity around us. Just as Paul is showing us how our class distinctions don't matter, our, our social distinctions don't matter, but Christ is all, that's the same thing that's going to keep us in unison with one another. Where Christ and our value and, and our common union to him is our most important and valuable thing. Because if you don't have this, without Christ being the most valuable thing to you, without our common union in Christ, guess what? You're going to ultimately be a casualty of the culture. If knowing Christ... And who Christ is, is not your most important and prized distinction. Guess what? Then you will get eaten up with the culture and you will find yourself in the same mess that we see other people out there dealing with. Which means then that our biggest threat to Christian unity is not people on the outside. It's not those extreme liberals over here, those extreme conservatives over here. That's not the biggest threat to our Christian unity. The biggest threat to our Christian unity are the nominal Christians on the inside. That's the biggest threat to our Christian unity. Those who do, not, who do not hold Jesus as their supreme treasure. Those who do not hold Jesus as their ultimate prize. Those who Jesus, who their joy in Jesus is matched by a joy to an affiliation of a group or a camp. See, for us to live in unity will mean that Christ will have to matter more than our political affiliations. Christ will have to matter more than our cultural affiliations. And Christ will have to matter even more than our ethnic identity, which we so value. The scripture again makes this clear. I want to show you a place. Philippians chapter 3. Turn with me there. Philippians chapter 3. We've looked at this before, but I just want to bring it back to you again. Paul is writing to the Philippians. And he's warning them against... Uh, Again, people from the church are people trying to come into the side of the church 
and teach different doctrine, different things. People who are trying to really encourage the church to look to the flesh and not to the spirit and not to Christ. And so he says this in chapter 3, verse 5, to refute them. People who take confidence in the flesh. I'll start in 4 and come down, but I just want to show you something that's very important. When I say that our affiliation to Christ has to matter more than our ethnic identity. He says this, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He says, five, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of of Christ. So in this passage here, Paul begins to recount all of the things that he once placed value in. And he's now saying all of those things that I used to hold dear, which were not bad things like his ethnicity. When he says, I am, I was of Israel. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. That's his ethnicity. He needs to hold that value. Uh, they used to have extreme value to him. But he's saying that that ethnicity, and then he goes down and says, my cultural association, when he says a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's talking about his cultural association. So he says, my cultural association, my ethnic identity, then he goes to his educational attainment by saying that I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning I knew the law, I had all of this knowledge, but he says all of these different things, my cultural association, my ethnic identity, my educational attainment, he says all of these things mean nothing to me when I compare them to the value of knowing Christ. All of these things. Yes, I'm back, but it, it, when it comes to knowing Christ, that, that doesn't mean anything. He, say, he says it means nothing. Culture, ethnic identity, educational attainment. He said all of these things mean nothing to me when I compare it to the value of knowing Christ. See, brothers and sisters, this should be the pattern or the goal of every believer. If it has not happened to you, this should be, Christ should begin to replace all of the things that you once hold dear, that were once at the top of your value ladder. Christ should begin to take reign over those things. They should begin to lose their grip on your life but where Christ is supreme, where, where is Christ is all in all, where your, heart, where, your, where your heart begins to cry out and says that Christ is all, Christ is all that I need. See, that is the, the point that Paul is making here in this text. The things that I used to hold dear to me, the things that I thought that were once important, now that I know Christ, he says, they're not important anymore. They, they've lost their value, but Jesus is all that I want. See, this is what we have to aim for, my brothers and sisters. If you, before coming to Christ, was a person that was a sports fanatic, as you grow in Christ, guess what? Sports should begin to lose its grip off of you where Christ becomes your supreme thing. Uh, whatever, you can take sports out, you can put in another hobby, whatever it may be, Christ should begin to replace that where he becomes the most supreme thing, where your heart screams out, Christ is all. Christ is all. More than culture, more than ethnicity, more than political affiliations, more than political ideology, Christ is all. See, for us to live unified in Christ, brothers and sisters. Christ is, is going to start with us valuing Christ more than anything. And guess what? To, to value Christ means to value what Christ values. And you know what Christ values, church? You know what one of the things that Christ values? He values unity amongst his people. See, if we're going to 
be unison or if we're going to be one in Christ, we have to value Christ and value what he values. And one of the things that Christ values more than anything, guess what, is unity amongst his people. Let me, t let me, let me remind you of something. Um, do you know that one of the things that Christ did prior to being spit on, beaten, taken to a cross with nails in his hand, you know what he did prior to all of those events, one of the things that he did? Christ prayed for you. He prayed for you. In John 17, which is known as the high priestly prayer, Christ prayed for disciples. Not just the first century disciples that were, were um, with him, but he also prays for the disciples who would hear the gospel, who would hear the word from them and would actually become followers of him. He prayed for us. And I, I want to read something to you. I want to read you part of that prayer and I want you to hear what he says here. So the first part is going to be from John 17, 11, the B portion. I want you to hear what he prays for his disciples. He says this in John 17, 11, B portion. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So in his high priestly prayer, there in John 17, 11, he's praying for his first century disciples, those who are right there with him. He's praying to the Father out of all the things he's praying that they would be one, the disciples on earth, as he and the Father is one. That was his hope, that was his desire, unity, oneness, that his disciples who were there with him, who he had walked with and lived with, he's praying that they would be one, unity, oneness, as he and the Father is one. And then if you keep going down in John 17, he transitions to us. He says this in John 17, verse 22-21. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me, through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So now his prayer is not just for the first century disciples, but all of his disciples, that they would be one in unity, unison, as he is with the Father, so that the world would believe that he was heavenly sent, sent by the Father. So that's just his prayer, that we would be one like he is with the Father. Now, I know that some see this statement here, because this is the different views on John 17. Sorry about that. I know that some see John 17 as an eschatological event, meaning it's an end-time event, that there's going to be a time in the future when this will happen. Um, I don't understand John 17 that way. I don't see it that way. I understand this prayer that Jesus is praying for is happening right now, that it's an ongoing reality. Um, so I don't believe that John 17 here cancels out Matthew 28, 19. Um, we still have the Great Commission. We still got to go and verbalize the gospel. That's how it's spread. But Jesus says there's something about our unity, though. He's praying. There's something about our unity that gives evidence to the world that he is heavenly sent. So, I mean, so here it is. You have Jesus praying for unity and oneness in this church. And he's saying that this unity, this oneness that disciples should have one another should mirror the unity that he has with the Father. That is a unity that shows itself in love and affection. That's the, that's the unity that he's saying that we should have with one another. That's, that's part of Jesus' heart. If you, if you want to know what some of the things that are in Jesus' heart, it's right here in John. 
His heart is that his disciples would be in one, would be in unity, that his followers would not have this hostility and this schism and division. No, but he's praying that they would be one, that we would be one. See, I, I can't speak for all of Christianity, church, but at the bridge in Rancho Cordova, can we strive for this? Can we strive for unity? Can we strive for oneness of mind, oneness of spirit, striving for the same goal, no hostility? When we see hostility try to pop up, can we quickly try to kill that thing, anything that's going to bring about division in the body? Can, can we strive for this thing? I know that all of the church, I would love to see all the church in, in Christianity worldwide doing this, but I, I can't speak for all of the church. All I can speak for is here in Rancho Cordova, the bridge. Can we strive for this unity that Jesus so prays for? Because Christ prays for it, tells me that it is possible. It is possible for Christians to have a divine unity with one another that is like nothing else in the world. That's what he's saying. Because if Christ is comparing the standard of unity with him and the Father, that means that our unity should be unlike any other relationship in the world, even more strange and unique than you are with your family and relatives. It should so stand out. It should be like nothing other, no other relationship you have seen. All unity, all oneness together. Because Christ said that oneness has to mirror him with the Father. And that is an otherworldly type unity. And he said that is a unity that I'm praying for you all. So do you understand, brothers and sisters, we are supposed to have a unity that is strange to people. That's not normal. That's just, that's so different. It should be so strange that it begs a divine explanation. That's the unity that Christ is praying for us to have. But people say, there's no other justification on why these people so love each other, why they're so unified, why they're so one. They're, that Jesus that they believe, he, he must have been heavenly sent. That Jesus that they believe, he, he must have been divine because there's no other rational reason why these people from different cultures, different groups, will so love each other, will so sacrifice for each other, and are so caring about each other. There's something happening over there. See, that is how our relationship is supposed to look, brothers and sisters. Not just coming to church on Sunday and saying hallelujah, and I'll see you again next Sunday on a Zoom meet, meeting on Tuesday. No, we're supposed to have this crazy, strange, weird love and affection for one another. A unity that just blows people away. It's not just church. It's life. Life on life. Unity. Oneness. That's what Christ is praying about here, brothers and sisters. Unity. Oh, excuse me, Now, this brings us to an important point with Jesus' prayer. And that point is Jesus prays for oneness. Oneness amongst his body. But the oneness that he's praying for, it's a visible oneness. Right? He said that the world would know that you sent me. So that tells me that this unity that Christ is talking about, it's a visible unity. Which means that the foundation of our unity and has to be yes in Christ. And it has to be yes right belief about Jesus. That's to be right theology about Jesus. But guess what? The world can't see your right theology about Jesus. The world can't see your right understanding about Jesus unless your right theology about Jesus is manifesting itself in right action that models Jesus. See, it's not just visible unity that, oh, yes, we believe the same thing. We have the same doctrine. You can't see that. 
He said, this, this is visible unity that the world will see and will know that Christ is heavily sent. So that means it is not just an intellectual unity, but it is a real-life unity that is as in the flesh, that, that is not just the, the, uh, theological, but it is a real unity. Which means that we can't just talk about unity, my brothers and sisters. We can't just have unity conferences. We can't just have, read books on unity, but it is something that we have to demonstrate every day with one another. It's a real unity. It's not a faux unity. It's not just an intellectual one. It's one that the world sees and says, there's something happening over there. There's something different about them over there. It's a real, real unity. Which makes me think about me and Pastor Brian. I shared this at the, when I was speaking to the group. Pastor Brian, how old are you? 61. Okay. All right. I told him you're 60. All right. <laughs> and so, this brings me, like I said, Pastor Brian is six-year-old white guy. I'm a 37-year-old black guy, right? Naturally, based on societal standards, we don't mix. We're not a recipe for unity, but probably some would say, you're a recipe for disunity, right? Because we have different, we're from different generations, right? Different cultures. Um, we have different lived experience. But because of our common love for Jesus, because of our common love for Jesus and our desire to model Jesus, guess what? We are one. And so, like, we can have disagreements, and we, we work through those, but we, we work through them because we understand that we are one in Christ Jesus. See, it's not just a fake, oh, let's be unified. No, this is, this is wheels on the ground. This is real stuff here. Just, just think about, like, understand this, brothers and sisters. It would have been easier for me to go and partner up with another African-American pastor. It would have been, been slightly easier because maybe we had similar cultures, uh, maybe politically we see the same thing, and quite frankly, because of the many things that we may have had in common, guess what, you really didn't even need the Holy Spirit for us to have a bond because we probably had so many other natural things in common. But guess what, you will need the Holy Spirit here. Why? Because we're so different in so many different ways. We can't just rely on our natural tendencies that we may have in union. But here we need the Holy Spirit. Why? Because here are natural things. We, we can't depend on those things. And so Christ has to be the glue that keeps us together. He has to be the thing that's central. We, we can't look to our natural ways because many of us are so different. Generation-wise, life experience-wise, ethnic-wise, culture-wise, we're different in many ways. So we can't just lean on our natural tendencies to find a bond. But no, our bond is through Christ. Amen. See, he's the glue that keeps us together. He's the reason why we stay in unison. Our natural tendencies, we can't depend on this. What I'm trying to get at is this, ultimately. And just, I know I'm saying this, this is all the stuff I didn't get to share. But what I'm trying to get at is this. Oftentimes as Christians, we go for easy unity, I call it. And I'll put it like this. Right now, in your circle of Christian friends, if your circle of Christian friends are mostly the same culture as you, are the same ethnic background as you, if you speak a foreign language, they speak the same foreign language, if they eat the same foods as you, then guess what? Unity with them, guess what? It's not as hard. Why? Because you have all these other natural tendencies to fall upon. But what Paul is talking about here in his letters, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, they're dealing with a hard unity. 
They're dealing with Jew and Gentile come together. So, see, it, it wasn't a simple unity of, oh, we're, we're both black, so yes, we can kind of fit in and mingle. No, this was, this was Jew and Gentile. See, it, it was very different. It was a hard unity that Paul in the first century church dealt with. It wasn't a unity that you can easily just rely upon your natural, natural tendencies or common bond there. But it was a hard unity because think about this. When Paul says to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 3, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, he's talking to an extremely diverse church. Think about this. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman world in this time. right? So in your church, you not only had these people who were native um, to Ephesus and maybe worshipped Diana, but you also had people from all over the world. So when we say Gentiles in Ephesus, there wasn't one type of Gentile in Ephesus. There's many types of people all, from all over all parts of the world that would come to Ephesus. So your early church was made up of, of natural-born Ephesians or who, are, who are original to Ephesus. You had people from all over the world who had come to Ephesus. And then you had this, this, this small little group of Jews. Imagine that, and you're trying to come together at once. See, that is what Paul, or that is the reason that Paul is saying in Ephesians 4.3 to strive for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because he understands that this first century church was dealing with all of these different differences, basically. See, these hard differences. And that's why Paul wrote that in Ephesians 4.3, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You have to be diligent. I mean, you have to be active and actually going for unity. See, the reason why many of our churches are so segregated right now because people are not diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. We're, we're so easily focused on doing what's most convenient to me and what's most convenient to my culture or, or, or what's uh, most, most convenient to how I grew up. See, even here at the bridge, think about it. It took work for us to find unity. It took a lot of work for, for and that Pastor Brian asked me this question. He says, Brother Jerome, um, was it hard as you thought? You know, in us coming together, these different cultures? And I told him it was harder. It was harder than I thought. Why? Because coming to the bridge, I had to learn to devalue church culture, which I so held up high. I had to learn to devalue worship styles, which, which I held up so high. I had to learn to devalue preaching styles. Why? So that I can find fellowship and unity with my brothers who see things differently. See, and that's what you had to do. Some of you all, my preaching style is very different. And you had to learn to devalue the preaching style that you so honored. Why? So we can have this common unity. And some of you, you were used to a different worship style, but you had to devalue that worship style. Why? Because you wanted to have this common unity and this bond with, the, with your brothers and sisters of Christ. See, that is preserving the unity of the Spirit. That is being diligent to make sure that we are one. When we say the things that I once value, if it's going to stop me from being in union with my brother or sister, then maybe I have to devalue those and make Christ the central thing and do that we'll find our unity see that is what we did here that's what you have done here so what I hope that you are seeing is that yes for us to live in unity during a time of cultural disunity will mean one us valuing Christ more than anything but it also will mean us taking on the posture of unity and that posture includes humility patience and tolerance see Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you something here. Ephesians 4.
And fortunately, the verse I was just speaking to you about, where Paul says, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But before the apostle makes this, this major statement of striving for unity, I want you to back up in two and look what he says here. Here in verse 2, he's going to give us the posture of unity. So in verse 3, he's going to tell us what unity looks like. It looks like us being diligent to preserve this unity. But in verse 2, he's going to give us the posture that becomes before the unity that he wants us to strive for. Look what he says there. He says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Do you see how verse 2, he's laying the foundation, he's laying the posture for the unity that he's telling us to strive for in verse 3. And he says that the posture of unity here, he says it starts with humility gentleness, patience, and showing tolerance for one another in love. Think about this. When you show tolerance for a person, it's likely that this person is saying something that you don't agree with or that rubs you the wrong way, but because of your love for your brother or sister, humility, patience, and gentleness should lead you to pursuing unity and peace versus you giving them a piece of your mind. Do you see, get what we're saying here? So we need to put on, in order for us to maintain unity during this time of cultural disunity, we need to put on humility, brothers and sisters. We need to put on gentleness, and we need to put on patience in our pursuit of unity in Christ. You want that unity? It's going to cost you some humility. You, you want this unity? You're going to need some gentleness. You want to stay unified in Christ? We're going to need some tolerance. We're going to say that my brother and sister are not going to think the same way that I think. They're not going to see the same way that I see. See, these are the things that we have to put on if we're going to keep staying unified in Christ. That's the posture of unity. Paul is showing us the posture of unity. Another place where Paul shows us the posture of unity is in uh, Philippians. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And in this verse, verse 3 and 4 is where we'll get to, where Paul gives us more of the posture of unity. But before he gets there and shows us what the posture of unity looks like, I love what Paul does here. And leading up to this verse, he says this in verse 2, chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, he says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being, look, of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So what is Paul talking about there? There he's talking about unity. But I just love how Paul said to the Paul is basically saying, hey, if, if there's anything, if there's any, uh, he says, if, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation, Paul is basically saying, church in um, Philippians, can you just do me this one favor, just do me this one solid? And he says, be of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So Paul has this one ass of the church here. And his one ask of the church is that you will be unified, have the same mind, have the same heart, have the same thoughts, intent on the same purpose. 
This is Paul saying the same thing like Jesus. He's praying for the unity of his disciples. Paul is also praying for the unity of this church. He said, my one favor, my one ask of you, church, while I'm locked up in jail, while I'm in prison, under guard, my one ask of you, church, is that you will be unified, that you will have the same mind, same thoughts, same love, same spirit, same purpose. See, that's the consistent thing that you see in Paul's letters when he looks at the church, is that we will be unified, that we will be one. See, unity matters. It, it, it matters that we are one. And, and Paul then goes on to show us the things that we have to do or watch out for to maintain unity. And so he says in verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfishness. Here goes the posture of unity. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Then he says in verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. See, Paul here is giving us the posture of unity. The posture of unity. Ask yourself this, my brothers and sisters. The disagreement that you had with your brother or sister in Christ, does it have anything to do with your selfishness? Does it have anything to do with your pride? Were you just thinking about you? See, your pride, your selfishness is a threat to the unity of the spirit. And what else does Paul say here? He says to not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Are you doing that, my brothers and sisters, with your brothers and sisters, with other people who are not a part of this church that you may have a disagreement with? Are, are you thinking about their interests above your own interests? Are you considering their, their life more as more important and better than your life? See, that, that is what Paul said. This is, this is the posture that we're going to need to maintain unity. He says that we don't look out just for our own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Are you doing that, my brothers and sisters? This is the posture of unity. You looking out for my interests, me looking out for your interests. That is how we're going to maintain unity. Not you looking out for your own interests. And if you find that hard to do, to look out for your own interests above, or, or your brother's interests above, above your own interests, I want you to just consider Christ. That's what he did. He, he, he took away himself and he, he looked out for you. He, he, he didn't think about heaven. He, he thought about bringing his brothers and his sisters into the kingdom of God. He, he thought about sanctifying them. He thought about making you holy and, and expiating your sins. See, that is what Christ did. He didn't look on his own just interests. These are the things, my brothers and sisters, that we have to do. We can't look on our own interests. We have to regard our brothers and sisters as more important than ourselves. This is the posture of unity. If we're going to maintain unity, it's going to require us taking this posture. Because if we don't take this posture, we're going to just fall right into the culture, my brothers and sisters. So, if we're going to do this thing, brothers, sisters, we're going to have to value Christ. We're going to have to take this posture of unity because the culture is going to try to creep into our church. They're going to try to tear us apart. There's going to be teachings outside of our church that are going to come in and try to tear us apart. If we're going to need all of these characteristics, we're going to need this posture to maintain unity. We're going to need denial of self to maintain unity. Outside of that, we will splinter and fall away. 
So brothers and sisters, Jesus prayed for us to be one. And if you love Jesus like I love Jesus, we love Jesus, then our desire should be his desire. And we should take all effort, all energy to maintain unity in the body of Christ. We must value unity just like our Lord has valued unity. We must make it a high priority just like our Lord made it a high priority in his priestly prayer. So brothers and sisters, let's strive for this thing. Let's, let's not just take this lightly. Let's not be active. I mean, let's not be passive, but let's be active. The moment we see hostility coming up in this body, let's go and cut that head off real quick. Let's, let's resolve that issue so that we can maintain unity. Let's, let's put on this spirit of humility, this, this, this spirit of patience, this spirit of tolerance towards one another. Understanding that God has made all of us unique and different. But since we have Christ, we can be one. We have a big day coming up in our country in a few days, which is going to test many of us as Christians, our unity in the body of Christ. Which is why I really wanted to do this message today. Because we know what, how it's already divided many Christians. Some of the stuff I've heard of other Christians say about other Christians and think it breaks my heart, which is the reason I'm off of Facebook. We're going to be tested. But please remember this. No matter whatever the outcome is after Thursday, whether it's Biden or Trump, please remember that Christ is Lord. That Christ is still reigning. And guess what? Nothing will destroy his church. No extreme liberal or no extreme conservative. Nothing's going to destroy his church. So we don't live in fear because we know who reigns. Let's pursue unity. Let's pursue Christ. Let's pursue love with one another. Let's pursue the heart of Jesus. One of the many things in the heart of Jesus, I would say, which is our unity together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for showing us your heart, Lord. One of the many things inside of your big, big, big heart. Unity amongst brothers and sisters in you. God, may your spirit of peace resonate with every believer here that's reading and understanding your word. May it be a desire of each person here. God, may your spirit of peace come in this church, Lord God. We remove hostilities, schisms, anything that's causing, that's a threat to the unity of this body, Lord God. May we be one as you have called us to be one, Lord. Help us to have this otherworldly, godly, oneness, unity with one another, Lord. The world may believe that you were heavily sent, Christ. Help us to model you in all our ways, not just in the world, but personally with one another, Lord God. Help us to show godly love to one another. Help us to live out the one another's God here in this church. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Quicken every heart, Lord, by your truth, Lord God. Bind us together. We love you, Jesus. Amen.